Welcome to the C3 Silicon Valley Church Podcast. Senior pastors Adam and Kira Smalcom are so excited to share this message with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3SV, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. But I want to read out of Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, disobedient instantly to what Jesus has asked him to do. Verse 45, he went immediately and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places and the people from everywhere kept coming to him. So uh, this is a, an interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus. He's in Galilee. Now, Mark's Gospel was written from Rome. Mark is in Rome, writing to Christians in Rome, mostly Gentile Christians. And Mark's gospel is a, is a, a beautiful gospel. It's very fast-paced. Uh, Mark uses the word immediately over 40 times. So he's trying to get people's attention and tell the story. There's no question that Peter, who was at this point in Rome, we're probably in the mid-50s, 56, 60 AD, is relating all these stories. That's how you have the book of Mark. Peter is in Rome looking after the church. Mark is in Rome. And Mark sets out on the journey to write this, this what we call a gospel. It's in our, our Bible. It's inspired from the Holy Spirit, we believe, right? But it was written to inform the Christians in Rome about Jesus. They were seeing the demonstration of Jesus, even the 50, 60, hundreds of years beyond the, the resurrection of Jesus, the manifestation of Jesus' power continues. And so he writes along with Luke and, of course, Matthew and John, these four accounts, and they're perfect accounts. They synchronize perfectly. Some of the stories that you read in Mark are in Luke or John or Matthew, and so we, we get great insight into a story like this, and I want to go through it a little bit. But uh, this, this time in the ministry of Jesus, uh, the, the rumbling, he spent some time in Jerusalem after his baptism. Uh, he goes into the wilderness and confronts Satan. Uh, Satan doesn't confront Jesus, by the way. Jesus confronted Satan. Satan never had a chance against Jesus. And after that, he goes into Jerusalem and he turns over the money changer tables, which he would do at the end of his last week, also back in Jerusalem, stirring things up, spend some time. John tells us he, he makes a journey up uh, to Nazareth where he goes to a wedding, the wedding at Cana, and then he comes back down and then he would go back through Samaria and have that little encounter with the woman at the well. And uh, eventually he would settle in Capernaum. He's ultimately rejected in Nazareth. 
He goes to Nazareth and he reads the scroll. See that in Luke chapter 4. And, and they get so angry, they try to push him over a cliff. And so they're not receiving his message. And this would be the beginning of a theme of the rejection of Jesus' message in Galilee. Sure, the thousands were coming. They were coming by the thousands. The crowds were so crushing, he could barely even teach in, in the home where he was teaching, probably Peter's house in Capernaum. And so thousands of people are coming. And uh, I want you to see the picture. I went and saw the movie Son of God. Has anyone seen, seen that yet? You know, it's a, it's a great movie, and I applaud anyone who is uh, going to put their money on the line and make a movie. It, it, you know, scripturally, it was hard, it's hard for a preacher to go and see a Bible movie. I'll tell you that right now. Because I'm looking at all the little things that are just a little bit out. But anyway, it was very well done. But, you know, they never get the crowds right. Because I don't think they have the money for the extras. You know, Jesus is like kind of on the hill there. And there's a kind of few people. Listen, tens of thousands of people. He's preaching a new message. One with authority. It says... Uh, a little bit before here, he's teaching with so much authority that the people are stunned and amazed. This is not like our rabbis teach. This is not. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are, are starting to and will become more and more agitated. Because Jesus comes preaching repentance, turning. By this time, Judaism had really left its purest form as God intended. And for the last 400 plus years... The pharisaical system had taken Judaism into such a religion of works. You know, the billboard is, you know, that, that is going on with the church about us not being religion. Let me tell you what most people understand religion to be. Most people think religion is hoops. Things you've got to jump through. And if I jump through this, if I'm a good person, or if I do this, or if I give that, or if I, if I do enough good things, then God will accept me. And that largely is what was going on in Jewish life. The Pharisees had come and totally turned around what was godly worship in its purest form and began to add rule upon rule upon rule. And they became so despised by the regular people. So when Jesus comes preaching freedom from rules, and by the way, using every opportunity to break the rules. You ever read that Jesus kept healing on the Sabbath? Do you think that was just Jesus like, oh, forgot it was the Sabbath again. Let me just heal you. He did it on purpose. Because... The Sabbath became an idol to the Pharisees. The Sabbath, everything, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath to the point where people were so locked down they couldn't enjoy the day of rest that God intended it to be. So Jesus comes and breaks the rules by, my goodness, healing people, getting them to pick up their mat and go home after they're healed. It's the very next story in the book of Mark, chapter 2. The, the guy's got through the roof and, and he's healed and he forgives him of his sin. And the Pharisees are mad and angry because they want people locked in religion. 
They want people locked in rules because if you can have enough rules, then you can have more control. And what religion attempts to do is it attempts to control people. But the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus from the very moment he sets foot in Israel and comes out of those waters of baptism is he preaches a different message that is confounding to the religious elite of the day. And this story has some amazing little things inside of it that I want to draw out. Are you into that this morning? Look a little deeper at the word of God. Okay, a man with leprosy. Firstly, leprosy was uh, pretty common. Uh, Common enough that there were rules in Jewish life about leprosy. You go back into the book of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. I don't think I'll have time to get to it. But there's, uh, you know, you couldn't stand upwind from certain, um, you know, areas of lepers. Lepers were not allowed to, they couldn't go to the temple. They were banished from the temple. Uh, leprosy is uh, a scaly skin disease. It came in many forms. Uh, it was uh, very debilitating. It was a death sentence. It was associated with, and the metaphor really, which I try to find some metaphor in the Word of God every week that I can relate to everyday life, okay? And this one's a very easy one because it's actually part of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Jesus says it and using the language here. Mark tells us that leprosy equals sin. Leprosy equals sin. And that's how you were viewed. If you were a leper, you were viewed as cursed, and to the point, if you go back and read the book of Leviticus chapter 13, it'll tell you that one of the rules was is that you had to be excommunicated from the camp. You, you couldn't live amongst your family, your friends. You couldn't go to the synagogue. You could never be allowed to go to the temple ever again for festivals. You were separated. And they lived together, lepers only hung with lepers. They would have their own communities they would live so far outside the camp, usually uh, away from, down from the prevailing wind, so they couldn't comb their hair in case they disturbed their skin and the skin traveled through the air because it was so highly contagious. And so leprosy was a great curse, and if you contracted it, you knew that you were going to die. And some people had been healed through natural means, but this is... One of those creative miracles. Now, Luke tells us in his account that he, this man was full of leprosy, that the leprosy has fully extended through his body. And what usually happened was, and they found it's called Hansen's disease today, and they've done a lot of research on leprosy, and they've always thought it was an external disease because of the way it manifested with the sores. Anybody remember the movie Braveheart? My only reference to leprosy, if I was going to gross you out this morning, I'd get a photograph of Robert the Bruce's father who had the leprosy stuck in the castle. And uh, he's got all these sores on his face and it would start to attack the brow and the back of the head and then it would go to the extremities. And uh, what they found out is that actually it's both. It's external and internal. The extremities go numb. So you can't even feel when you're cutting yourself and your feet are being cut and the sores begin to pass and grow and to the point and the visage changes. You start to look almost like a lion. It changes the way you look, this disease. And so not only were you, were you kind of banished outside fellowship and the camp, now you, everybody kind of knew you were coming by how you looked and you had all this ugly, it was an ugly disease. 
And so when a leper came anywhere near anybody, they had to shout something. They had to yell out, unclean, unclean. By the way, anybody who is healed of leprosy in the Bible, it's always the terminology is that they were cleansed. Because there was the physicality of leprosy, make no mistake, but there was also the separation from church life, from fellowship life, from synagogue life. And so they were considered unclean. And this, uh, to bring it into our here and now, this is, relates to sin and the world and how people view sinners, how sometimes the church views sinners, how we can judge as Christians and look down upon. And, and, that, and the, the reality is, is that just like the lepers like to be together, so the sinners like to be together. They don't want to be convicted of their lifestyle. In fact, until the Holy Spirit convicts you of your lifestyle, you don't even think you're doing anything wrong. You're just, you're just eating and drinking and being merry. You think this is never going to end. You, th- you think that you can just hang out with your crowd. And, and of course, our society now is so acceptance of any lifestyle. And it's very unpopular to take a stand on a biblical lifestyle. And there's encroachment in our generation. Oh, you know, we shouldn't be judging everybody for, you know, sometimes I find that it, the church, we can be uh, so afraid of what people are going to think about us. We never say anything about anything. Jesus constantly offended people. I don't go out of my way to offend people. But sometimes my stand offends people. But what I've got to learn and what you and I've got to learn is how do I separate my stand, but still make sure that people understand that I love them and that they could be open to my message? How do I do both? How do do I take a stand as a Christian and I don't need to to even give you examples because there are lifestyles that are being preached even at elementary age in school that this lifestyle is okay and this form of living and these actions are okay and we're growing up and it's confusing because isn't this the age where the church is going to have an impact on the world and bring about the, the reigning of Jesus Christ. On the, isn't, isn't that what this is all about? Well, it is, but not in an absolute form. Not in an absolute form. In the, in the text in Matthew 13, and don't go there, I don't have time, but let me just write, there's seven parables and they, they talk about the kingdom of God. The first parable there is the very famous parable of the sower sowing seed. You know that parable, sower goes out to sow. And Jesus explains, he says, well, they're the messengers of God sowing the word. Well, the thing about that parable is there are, you know, and they represent the human heart and the four kinds of hearts that respond to the word. Here's the thing. Three of the four reject the word. Not everybody is going to receive Jesus. Not everybody is going to accept our message. Some are hard. Some are shallow. Some don't really want to change. Some let 
the sin of their life choke out the goodness of the seed that could transform their life. Some people are open and ready and receive the gracious work of Jesus and are transformed. But three quarters reject. The next parable is the parable of the wheat and tares, and that's a very interesting one. There are, there are some beautiful other little parables that go on to talk about the, the uh, pervasiveness of the kingdom, how it starts as a little mustard seed. It'll be the, the largest tree, and it, the kingdom of God is like this little piece of leaven. That is, that is fermented dough from the last loaf that, you know, the, the person would leave out and ferment for a couple of days and then that would be embedded, it would become yeast and it would permeate. Jesus said, that'll be like the kingdom. You just need a little bit of the kingdom. In. Notice, by the way, the kingdom is leaven and leaven is put in the loaf. You and I are called to be in the world influencing the world, not outside somewhere, praying over here, the faithful remnant, hoping that Jesus comes again. You're supposed to be leaven inside the loaf, right? That's right. Come on, you can shout about that. And then there's two little parables about how the gospel has to be personally appropriated. Right? The, the, the parable of the guy who's plowing his field and he comes across the treasure. And he stumbles across this treasure. He sells everything, buys the field. That's, that's, you know, that's like me. I wasn't looking for God. I was just living my life. But I stumbled across. And then you've got the pearl merchant who searched for the pearls. And he found the one of great price. And he sold. They're the people who are searching for the truth. And they find it. So people discover Jesus by just living their life. And they discover Jesus by searching. But the, the message there is the gospel. Jesus has to be personally appropriated into your life. You have to find Jesus either by self-discovery or by chance. But you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. The last of those seven parables is the one of the dragnet that I may talk about. Let me just come back to the wheat and the tares for a minute. And this idea that this, this message that Jesus is preaching, good news, sure, set free, healing, new sight, paralytics heal. The miracles are starting to come thick and fast. We're into the Galilean ministry here. We're probably 18 months into Jesus' ministry from his baptism. So the word is really spreading out and he's concentrating in Galilee. He says, I've got to go to all the towns. When he first did the miracles in Capernaum, he heals up Peter's mother-in-law and he's doing the, people are coming after that, after the Sabbath, they're coming in. The miracles, are, the word is going out. He says, no, I got to, you know, I got to go to all the towns of Galilee. They're hearing, the crowds are building. In the wheat and the tares, it's a, a fascinating little picture. In that parable, it, Jesus said, the kingdom is like a farmer who sows seed. And then he goes and he waits. And then when he wakes up, he finds that his enemy has sowed tares. Tares were weeds. Tares in that time were, they looked like wheat. They're counterfeit wheat. In fact, it was quite common, so common the Romans had a law. If you sowed bad seed in your neighbor's field, you would be crucified. Because it would destroy the crop of your neighbor. So Jesus always using pictures 
to get across spiritual truth so people could understand. That's what a parable is. It's a parallel story to relate spiritual truth. He says, you've got a field, you're sowing your seed, and the enemy comes along and sows counterfeit seed. And the, 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 the servants come to the master and say, should we pull out the tares? Should we go in? Who did such a thing? And the master said, well, my enemy has done this. Jesus would explain that the enemy is Satan and that those tares, those counterfeit seeds are sons of the devil. And then the most incredible moment in that story, the servants go, should we pull out the counterfeit? And the master says, no. Let them grow together lest you pull out the good seed. Here's here's the deal. We're always going to have good and evil in the world. Good and evil are going to grow together. You and I, as leaven, are called to be embedded in our communities, in our societies, taking our stand for Jesus Christ and the principles that we know to be true from the word of God, not compromising our beliefs, not trying to be so politically correct that we don't want to offend anybody. Listen, you can take a stand, but sometimes your stand is going to be offensive because that's what truth does. Truth confronts you with your, because the kingdom, there's no gray in the kingdom. It's true and false. There's wheat or there's tares. There's, there's good seed or there's bad seed. There's no, there's no in between. Well, you know, pastor, that would be offensive. Maybe can't we just say, you know, there are many paths to God? No. No, there's not many paths to God. There's one path. Well, you know, pastor, in this day and age, it's kind of important that we, we just, you know, maybe we should just be a little... Jesus is the only way for you or me or anybody to have communion with God. He is the only way. Oh, Pasadena. Oh, my goodness. Now you're offending people. Jesus moved with compassion. Verse 41. Back to Mark chapter 1. How am I doing on time here? We're good. Jesus, notice, notice in verse 40, he's begging. So he's, he's, he's coming in a very worshipful way, this leper. And there's a this phenomenal kind of message in how does the leper get from being in his little leper colony and getting the courage to go into the middle of a crowd and find Jesus? That's just an awesome story right there. Breaking free from your little group of sinners. That's what happens when you find Jesus, right? You decide to, repentance is changing your mind deciding that you're not going to stay in that camp anymore and you're going to approach Jesus. That's what he did. That's the picture. That's the metaphor of when you and I come to Christ, what it means is we're breaking with our old thinking, our old traditions, our old way of life. Our conscience is finally pricked. The Spirit of God has moved upon us. Faithful people have been praying for us. Finally, we break from the leper colony, which is sin, and we approach Jesus. That's what this guy had to do. So he comes into the crowd. People would have been shocked. 
Here comes this leper, fully leprous, visibly leprous, limping, probably a cane, unable to walk, hands, fingers. Who knows how, how gross it would have looked. Dr. Luke tells us that he was full of leprosy and he's walking through the crowd and he's obviously heard about Jesus. As many of these stories in Mark indicate, there's this seeking and finding. There's the woman through the crowd. There's Jairus coming to heal the daughter. There's this sense that Mark is trying to get across that people are seeking out Jesus. The word is out. The miracle stories are going everywhere. Soon he would start feeding thousands of people where he couldn't get away. He had to go secretly at night because thousands were coming. And this leper leper got up and he says, I'm going to break from my little leper camp and I'm going to go where Jesus is. Luke tells us that he fell on his face. The word is is used for worship. He's he's believing that this is the Messiah. He's heard enough. He's desperate. So he, he says, will you make me clean? He wants to be healed, but the request is cleansing. He just doesn't want to be healed on the outside. He wants to be cleansed on the inside so he can come back into fellowship. And that's, the, that's what happens when, when the Holy Spirit starts to convict us of our lifestyle. You, you, you start to, to get convicted to the point where you're, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. And your heart starts to turn back to God and you start to get softer. And, and what he's really asking is, is I, I want to be back in fellowship. I want to be clean. And that's how he would have associated this moment with Jesus to be made clean. Jesus moved with compassion, which that basically means Jesus had so much empathy, he felt what he was feeling. That's what, whenever you see Jesus was moved with compassion, the Greek means that he felt so in his own being what the person was going through. He's moved with compassion. He reaches out and touches him. Big no-no. You don't do that. Nobody does that, let alone a rabbi let alone a holy man. But this is, again, Jesus giving us a picture. Okay, so we've got, we've got parables about wheat and tares. We've got evil and righteousness growing together. But, and we've got, you know, a parable, that last parable in, in Matthew 13 is about judgment. So is the wheat and the tares, by the way. The wheat and the tares, if you go back and read it, it's like Jesus starts to explain it. It's like, well, you know what's going to happen? My angels are going to come and they are going to pull out. They're going to harvest. And there's going to be two options, bond or burned. Well, isn't there just some kind of middle area? No middle area. It's true or false. You're in or out. There's no gray in the kingdom. You're bond or you're burned. You're forever with God in heaven, forever. This is just a little kind of test run here, or you're not dead, you're just separated. And there's nothing fun about that. The final parable in Matthew 13 is the parable of the dragnet. And let me give you this picture before we finish up in Mark. The drag, three kinds of ways to catch fish in Israel. Hooks, casting nets, and dragnets. Dragnets were attached to a boat and on the shore. And they were, the boat would go straight out, five, six, seven, eight hundred yards. It's a giant net that had some corks on the top, some weight on the bottom, and it would drop like a wall. 
And the boat would go out and out and out and out and out and out and to the point where the net finally came fairly tight and then it would start to circle. This is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like a dragnet. And the boat would turn slowly. You were being caught and you didn't even know it. Just the slow turn of time, the slow turning of circumstances, the slow catching of every single person, the boat coming all the way round back to the shore, all the fish of every kind being drawn up. You're about to come to a place of judgment and you didn't even know it. And again, there's a separation. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. But Pastor, how can a loving God, how, how, how could God be so mean? Uh, God's, God's not mean. God fully has given every and will give every human being the chance to choose. I'm pre- if you've never heard the gospel, I'm preaching it to you today. You may have grown up in church and heard the message. You might have rejected it. You might have listened to it, decided that it wasn't for you and that you were going to live life on your own terms and you've rejected it. Now perhaps you're here or at some other point in your life, but the dragnet is turning and you never know when you're going to be pulled up on that beach. But how can a compassionate God be so uncompromising how can it be so black and white pastor well let's just finish up with the leper he touched him Jesus always identifies with sinners Jesus if leprosy equals sin then this is one of the most perfect pictures of Jesus and his view of sinners Jesus is never afraid to be in the presence. He fellowships with sinners time. That's what made the religious elite so angry. The Pharisees were waiting and they were looking to judge him. And time and time again, they would confound him because religion binds. But Jesus sets us free. He touches the leper and says what I am willing that's the that's this line that you and I are walking Jesus preaching uncompromisingly in parables and stories about what it's going to mean what you have to do what's it going to cost it's going to cost you everything anybody that preaches a gospel that doesn't tell you the cost is not preaching the full gospel there is a cost to coming into this kingdom from going from counterfeit to real there is a cost and and it's and it's everything It's pick up your cross. It's lay down your life. It's everything it's going to cost you to come into this kingdom. Because God paid with everything. God sent Jesus 
You ever want to know what God looks like, how God thinks, what God's opinion? Just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus is the express, perfect image of God. And you see Jesus constantly, unafraid to touch the sinner. Unafraid to go to the home of sinners. Unafraid to commingle. Knowing full well that the righteous and the unrighteous will grow together. You're going to be surrounded by evil in your everyday life. And some will receive and some will reject. But you and I are called to stay planted. I am willing. And he, he cleanses him. Then he gives them, the guy, this uh, amazing command. And we'll finish with this. He, uh, he says, now I want you to go to the priest. Now, they're in Galilee. It's at least 70 miles back to Jerusalem. At least 70. So this is, this is what I, I need you to see. The leper is healed. By the way, when Jesus heals you, it's a full healing. There's no progressive healings with Jesus. He's got limbs missing. He's got toes missing. He's been living in a little square camp for goodness knows how long. And he now has the strength and the ability and the creative, miraculous healing power to go probably first to his family, to present himself. I'm going to the temple. I'm going to bring my offering. I'm going to fulfill the law. And he would have gone 70 miles. When Jesus heals you, you are totally and utterly healed. No half healings with Jesus. No, well, you know, and and listen, I've prayed for thousands of people to be healed. We, We believe, we're a church that believes that the same power that's in the Bible is here today. But not everybody I pray for gets healed. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to brush over it and say, well, yeah. Or I'm not going to say, well, maybe it started. And listen, God doesn't need any help with healing. But just... Because I don't get healed doesn't mean I'm not going to follow Jesus. Just because I don't get healed doesn't mean I'm not going to serve Jesus. Just because I'm not instantly healed doesn't mean I'm not going to commit my life to growing God's kingdom. I don't know why some people don't get healed, but I've seen some people that do get healed. I've seen some incredible miracles in my life. When Jesus touches you, you are transformed. We don't need to, we don't need to kind of fake the gospel up. We don't, we, don't, we don't need to, because people just think that's weird. We don't, we don't need to be the church that, that kind of fluffs it all up and, and just fakes it up. And No, no, you're healed or you're not, and it's no big deal if you're not. We're still going to pray for you next week and come into the body of believers, and we're going to love you and bring you a meal and give you some chicken soup and get you through it anyway. That's the church. So he goes, why does Jesus tell him to go to the temple? What was that? Kind of confusing. Like he's just healed. Jesus is, is he's tussling with these Pharisees. He's, he's gone to the temple and turned over the money. He's just stripping these guys of what they were teaching and preaching. This form of Judaism that was so works-based, so religious binding people up they were so angry they even accused him of doing his miracles by satan's power they were in confrontation but jesus says go to the temple take your offering 
present it to the priest. That's what he says. Here's what I think. This is a shot across the bow of religion. Jesus telling him to go to Jerusalem with his offering. He was sending a message back to Jerusalem because the whispers. You heard about this prophet? You heard about this Jesus of Nazareth? He's, some say he's doing miracles. And we're 18 months in. Soon Jesus will go north into Syrophoenicia and come back down through the valley, up through Jericho, eventually back into Jerusalem. But this is a message back to the religious elite. From here on, you read, the Pharisees are at every meeting. They're waiting. They're watching. They're trying to get him found guilty of blasphemy. But he sends the message to them. And you think this guy, I mean, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Like, of course he was going to tell someone. He would have gone to the priest and said, hey, look, I've been healed of leprosy. And the priest like, oh, yeah, that happens a bit here and there. You know, just give us your offering. They had an eight-day cleansing, washings. That was just craziness. You think that guy would have, would have filled in the picture a little bit and said, you know, I was instantly healed. My toes grew back. Look at my hands. Look at my family. They'll tell you. See, Jesus can't stand religion because it binds people up. Salvation by works is like a disease because it's incurable. You can't get saved by what you do. You can only have community with God by his free and gracious gift. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust you heard from God and that you're more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, we'd love for you to come and attend a service. For more information about C3SV, please visit www.c3sv.com.